Okay, so this sermon is entitled The Domino Effect. And it is so crazy, the timing of it, because if you go through this, if you only ever listen to a series, and you, it would be this one. Because I have taken you from the garden all the way to Gethsemane, or all the way to Armageddon. I've taken you from the Abrahamic covenant to the covenant that Christ established. I've taken you, I mean, we have journeyed through the Bible. Am I right? Like this series has been mind-blowing. We talked about Nephilim last week. Find another church that talks about that other than Pagani and Vlad. So we're gonna jump in today because um, it, we're gonna go there. It's gonna be real deep. So, the, so for your notes, it's, it's the domino effect. We're gonna talk about discipleship, Jesus' discipleship. And we're gonna talk about why. Okay, let's go real big. I, if you go to my channel and you watch the, the I did a, uh, this whole interview with a renowned astrophysicist, Dr. Hugh Ross. Now, let me tell you what an astrophysicist is, because some of you are like, that's cool. I have no idea. What so an astrophysicist, they study the cosmos. So the universe, the stars, galaxies, everything within the known universe, they study dark matter, black holes, all of that. And this guy, Dr. Hugh Ross, is a renowned astrophysicist who became a Christian as a result of going through science. Isn't that amazing? So I interviewed him for my channel. Some clips that other people made from that interview have gone crazy viral. I'm talking hundreds uh, of thousands of views on every platform. And to the point where he reached out to me and said, our interview is the second most watched thing I've ever done in my life. He's getting older in his age, but I wanna quote him from the interview that we did together in the channel because I was revisiting. I felt like the Holy Spirit told me to revisit. Just follow me because we're gonna go real deep. Dr. Hugh Ross says, when this universe, well, let me back up because you guys are not fake scientists like me. So what we know in science is that our universe is expanding, which means it has borders. Think about how weird this is. So if you were able to travel to the edge of our known universe, it has a limit, it has an end. And we know this because it's expanding. The question that nobody can answer is what is it expanding into? So if, if, if you think about like um, when you were a kid, you would make a, for, a fort out of blankets and that fort was inside your house, but the fort could never be bigger than the house because it would, the fort, no matter how much you grow, it would be expanding inside of something else. So could eternity be on the outside of temporal? So could our known universe be time and space, but then outside of it is infinite? And so it's expanding into something. Everybody's like, did I smoke before church? What is this guy talking about? Okay, just follow me, because I love this stuff. When the universe, this is what Dr. Hugh Ross says. When this universe fulfills its purpose, everybody's laughing too hard at that joke. Somebody's like, <laughs> When, the, when this universe <laughs> fulfills its purpose that God has intended for it, he will replace this universe with a brand new realm. God spoke this universe into existence and he will actually speak it out of existence as well. The Bible tells us that when this universe will pass away, heaven and hell will not pass away because they are not part of this dimensional realm. 
So what Dr. Hugh Ross told, I'm gonna show you this in scripture, so I'm tag team preaching with my friend, the scientist. What he said was, God promised us that this universe will pass away, but heaven and hell will not pass away when this universe does, which actually helps us understand that heaven and hell are not a part of this dimensional realm. So heaven and hell are eternal, but this universe is not. So for all the granola hippies save the planet, I got real bad news for you. We can't. Because no matter how good of a job we do stewarding this planet, this planet is not eternal. This universe is not eternal and it must pass away. And so does that mean that we neglect our responsibility? No, absolutely not. I mean, we have a, a dominion for this planet and we will be judged uh, by the measure by which we actually steward it and take care of it. So we ought to be wise about it. Matter of fact, I don't know if you guys know this, but for years and years, every t-shirt, when we would do t-shirt Sunday, my metric would not be how cheap is the t-shirt. It would actually be like, are we making a green decision and are we contributing to human trafficking and slavery? And are we buying from brands that aren't contributing to that? And we've always tried to run lean as a campus at every single one of our locations and do whatever we can because I do believe we still have a dominion in this earth to steward this earth, whether or not it's eternal. Does that make sense? Okay, so stay with me. I'm gonna keep going. Now let's look at our, our scripture text. Matthew chapter 24, verse 35. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. This is Jesus talking. Now let, let's look at the word heaven though. I'm gonna give you another scripture. Write this down. Revelation chapter 21, verse one. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. So let, let me help you understand in this particular context, both the word of Jesus and the prophetic fulfillment in the book of Revelation, heaven and earth in this context is a poetic phrase and it doesn't mean heaven, paradise, it means the skies, the universe, and the earth. And it's actually, I'm gonna prove this to you, it's a poetic expression that signifies the whole universe. So when Jesus said the phrase, heaven and earth will pass away, what he was saying was, the universe and everything in it will pass away. Does this make sense? So when you talk about heaven, or heavens plural, you have to look at the context and you have to look at the Hebrew or the Greek term to determine, is he talking about heaven paradise? Because Jesus also said, in heaven there are many mansions. In my, in my father's house, had it not been true, I wouldn't tell you. So that usage of heaven means a literal place in another dimension where it is just as physical as what you're experiencing now. And there are mansions that we will be given as an inheritance by our heavenly father. But that's not the same heaven that's being discussed in these two scriptures. It's a phrase. Okay, let, let me break this down. Um, there's other poetic devices in the Bible like day and night, meaning all time. So when scripture says day and night, it, it's not literal, it just means all time. Day and night just means all time, always. Does this make sense? Okay, here's another one. In scripture, when it says man and beast, it's basically meaning all created beings. So a man and beast does not leave out insects. It includes all insects as well. It includes reptiles. Man and beast is a phrase. Day and night is a phrase. Heaven and earth is a phrase. Are you with me? Okay, 
So let's go even deeper because Genesis chapter two, verse four, it uses this same expression to reinstate the creation throughout the six days. So follow me. Heaven and earth are going to pass away. This is what Jesus said. Then in the book of Revelation, the revelator who's writing this book is having this open vision. He's like, whoa, I saw heaven and earth pass away and there's a new heaven and a new earth. Okay, you with me? So, therefore, everything that you know, everything you've experienced in this dimension, in this world, will pass away. Everything. So now we have the last and final installment of this sermon series. What are we doing then? How do we fit into this whole narrative? And what part do we play in the words that are being spoken? Now, I just wanna tell you, anxiety is the result of being focused on things that are all gonna pass away. The more you focus on things that are going to pass away, the higher your anxiety levels the more you focus on the things that will never pass away, the lower your anxiety levels. It's a very simple equation. Anxiety is focused primarily on the temporary. And that's why the Bible says that we should think about everything that's lovely. Think about things that are noble. Think of things that are pure. He, we have to shift our mind to, to be thinking about the spiritual things, the heavenly-minded things. So I wanna look at a scripture I love this so much. This is, I'm, I'm being careful because a lot of theologians listen to my sermons. I'm being careful, but I want to suggest a deeper meaning to something that's familiar to Christians. Let's look now. Okay, I established that. Let's go to Matthew chapter four, verse 19. Matthew chapter four, verse 19. Jesus, who knows everything's going to pass away, looks to this group of men and said, follow me, I will make you, a, make you fishers of men. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Okay, watch, watch. I'm just gonna submit something to you and, and I'm not trying to read too much into it and there's no real way of me establishing what I'm saying to you. It's, made, it's mainly conjecture, but I, I think it's, it's gonna help you. He's making disciples, because Jesus has a plan to populate the entire earth with people that do what he says to do and obey his commands. And, and he is making disciples that make disciples. He doesn't make disciples that memorize what he says. He makes disciples that do what he says. Okay, how many of you have kids? Okay, where's my kid at? I have a kid somewhere around here, one of them. If I say, Bella, do the dishes, and I come back, and, she, and I'm like, Bella, the whole sink is filled with dirty dishes. Why didn't you do the dishes? And she says, well, Dad, I memorized what you said. <laughs> this is what the relationship of most Christians to Jesus is. And then you come back and you're like, okay, I can't, okay, I'm, let's try this again. Bella, why didn't you do the dishes? Well, I got my friends together and we talked about what you told us to do and had a real profound conversation about it. Uh. <laughs> then I say, okay, let's try this again. Do the dishes. <laughs> then I come back. Bella, why aren't the dishes done? Hey, Dad, this is so cool. I can repeat what you told me in Greek and in Hebrew. 
this is why your Bible study doesn't impress me. This is why your academic ivory tower doesn't impress me because we're not to be hearers of the word, but doers also. And I'm not gonna sin under the teachings of somebody who hasn't led a stranger to Jesus Christ in five years. I'm not gonna sit under the teachings of somebody who hasn't made a disciple that actually made a disciple in the last 10 years. We can't be hearers of the word, we have to be doers. Okay, so now let's go back. Matthew chapter four, verse 19. He says, I will make you fishers of men. Okay, watch, watch. Jesus, knowing that this whole earth and everything in it is temporary, makes this statement. Okay, where are fish? Let's be really basic. Where are fish? In the water, yay! Fish are in the water. What do fishermen do? They get in a boat and praise God. (laughs) All the New Yorkers like, I don't know. (laughs) You're like, what are you talking about? I go to the deli and the fish is there waiting for me. (laughs) Okay, so the, the one guy not from New York, they get in a boat. So they get in a boat and they take the boat out and then they go and then do the, when you're a fisherman, do the fish stay in the water? What makes you a fisherman is you take them out of the water. You are not in this, you are in this world, but not of this world. You're a royal priesthood, a chosen generation. What if I submit to you and no, listen, maybe nobody ever told, what if being a fisher of men means I'm going to take you out of this realm and place you into another realm? I'm taking you out of the water and putting you into the boat and then the boat is gonna take the journey to the shore. What if is I'm gonna take you out of the temporary, I'm gonna put you on a journey called death and then in the resurrection, you, oh, come on, there's, do you hear what I'm saying? What if being fishers of men is I'm taking you out out of your habitat. Your habitat is this world. And see, fish are swimming around and they have their coral reef and it's a Finding Nemo journey and they're all running around. But what if being fishers of men is saying, I'm taking you out of your habitat. I'm putting you in a boat and taking you a journey to another land. Isn't that crazy to think about? So the problem occurs when we try to make disciples by never taking them out of their habitat. The problem occurs... <laughs> The problem occurs when we try to let the fish stay in the water. (laughs) Oh, yeah, yeah, just stay because this is familiar to you. We can still go clubbing. We can still go drinking. We can still go smoking. We can still stay in your habitat. This is where you're comfortable. Fish are uncomfortable out of water. So becoming fishers of men means making men and women uncomfortable by removing them from the habitat that they called home. And they're flopping around. I don't like this. Yes. (laughs) You're not supposed to. I don't like the way working out feels, but I like the way it feels after it's done its course on me. I don't like the way eating healthy feels, but I like what it does to me. So there's something about this fisher of men. I was thinking about the body of water represents the temporal and you must take them and put them on a boat and take them to another place. It's the eternal realm. And we've gotta be willing to take people out of an atmosphere. And what churches have failed over and over again to do is churches have tried to create atmospheres that feel like water to fish. And they'll even do in a church service, they'll do a secular song to make the fish feel more comfortable. The pa- 
the, the pastor will do everything he can to be cool and relatable. And tra- I'm not trying to be cool. I'm trying to be effective. The word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. We need the word of God. We don't need clever devices in our sermons. We don't need the cunningness of words. We need a demonstration of the power of the Holy Spirit. And so when he said, I'll make you fishers of men, I think fishermen understood we must remove them from the atmosphere. Whoo, I'm teaching today. And so here's the thing. Be willing to remove your friends from atmospheres of sin and death. Be willing to remove your family members and your coworkers from atmospheres of sin and death. Take the fish out of the water. (laughs) I feel some grace on that. Put them on a boat. What's the boat representative of? Your connect group, your dream team, your Sunday services. Put them on the boat. Travel them. Take them on a journey with you. That's what fishermen do. They take fish on a journey with them that the fish wouldn't make on their own. So here's the thing. We're getting ready to put our net on the other side of the boat this Tuesday. And V1 Church is gonna catch a harvest that we have never seen. And they're coming to your connect groups and they're broken and they've been hurt by churches. They've been uh, deceived by other world religions Oh, I'm telling you, one of the biggest harvests that a church has ever had the privilege of harvesting is coming to V1 Church. Eddie and Jocelyn, we've been faithful with little. He's about to make us ruler over much. Can I just tell you, Daniel and Exica, get ready because Long Islanders are about to get saved like we've never seen before. But we gotta be willing to put these fish on a boat and take them somewhere they never would go on their own. Don't comfort the fish. Don't swim in the water with them. Put your nets down and take them out of those atmospheres. So let me give you Jesus' discipleship model because going the whole thesis of this sermon, and I'm almost done, the whole thesis of this sermon, because remember, this is connecting to every week. If you listen to part one, two, and three, Jesus has an escape plan. And what Jesus is doing with this escape plan is he's trying to get as many people out of the atmosphere that they're in and onto the boat into the new heaven and the new earth. Are you with me? So that's the ultimate plan. And, and, and the only thing that will survive is your spirit because it's eternal. So hell is eternal and heaven is eternal, but heaven is the temporary to the new heaven and new earth. Does this make sense? Okay, so let's look at his discipleship model. Number one, Matthew chapter four, verse 19, it says, he will actually call them to be fishers of men, okay? And he'll commission you to remove men from the realm that they're in, remove women from the realm that they are and put them on distant shores. But I wanna tell you something brutal right now. It's not my job. It's not my job. It's your job. I've led everybody that I know to Christ. I have invited everybody I know to V1 Church. You now have to lead your family to Christ. You have to lead your coworkers to Christ. You have to invite them to V1 Church. I I tapped out. Matter of fact, I gotta walk through the neighborhood of New York City that I live in trying to lead people because I'm tapping out. I've gone online and I've preached as many times as I can preach online to complete strangers. 
You have to, this is not a pastor. Nowhere in the Bible will you actually see God saying, there's gonna be a pastor of, the, of your church and the pastor leads everybody to Christ. You'll never find that. It's your job. Gay, transgender, straight, heterosexual breeders, they call them breeders, drug addicts, Asian, African, South African, North African, all the world. And what God divinely does in moments like this is help you understand that Mike Signorelli can't do it. There's people that, that are looking at me on social media right now. They're looking at my face and something in, in them says, scroll, don't even watch what he's saying. And there's other people that are looking at my face right now and something in them says, listen to what this guy has to say. And they'll be sitting in their room crying right now. I don't know why it works that way. All I know is that God gives keys to every single person individually to reach individuals. And you are needed in this hour. And I don't know how else to tell you this, but you are not your job. Your job is how you feed yourself, but you're feeding a body that's going to die in an earth that's going to pass away. You hear what I'm saying? So you are not your job. You are here for such a time as this. You are here to go into this ocean called the earth and to drag your nets through and put as many of those fish on a boat and take them to eternity. And then from eternity, Jesus Christ will make a new heaven and a new earth and they will land on the other side. That's what this is all about. You are not, somebody say this with me. I am not my job. See how liberating that is? Did you know that the apostle Paul was not in full-time ministry? He was a tent maker. Did you know that there were women that actually worked with the apostle Paul to help him make tents so they could sell those tents and make money to go do more ministry? So you're reading books of the Bible from somebody who was not in full-time ministry. What's your excuse? What's your excuse? You're gonna go to Paul in heaven and be like, yo, Paul, that was so crazy, man. And Paul's gonna be like, what did you do? And, and you'll be like, oh man, I invited my friend to Easter one time. What's Easter? <laughs> Pastor, uh, uh, Paul, I was, really, I, I, I was really into discipleship. What's discipleship? You know, Paul never used the word discipleship. Did you know that the word discipleship's not in the Bible? It says that we made disciples, but the word discipleship's never in the Bible. Why? Because they understood we have to do this thing. We can't talk about it. We can't have extended conversations. We have to do it. And so my prayer for our church, because we're about to have the biggest harvest imaginable, is that every single one of you shift from your American evangelical 21st century Christianity to first century Christianity, where you say, I'm not my job. Paul was not a tent maker. He was an apostle who made tents to supplement his job. Does this make sense? Or to supplement his ministry? Are y'all with me? So if you truly believe what I'm saying, and you know, this, this really one of the things that I assassinate most in my preaching is the spirit of religion. Have you picked up on that yet? And your friends, if your friends don't like me, I already know why they don't like me. Because they came to your church with a spirit of religion and I, and I literally assassinated it right in front of them and it made them really offended. That's why your friend didn't like my church. But the thing is, 
If they would have sat under Paul, he would have done the same thing. If they would have sat under Peter, the same thing would have happened because, because so much of us are programmed with things. And if your friend or your family member would actually sit down on their lunch break and read the whole Bible, your friend would come out more thinking like me than they think going to a church every Sunday. Are you, does that make sense? So here's what guts me. We received a message from a woman via email and we're asking people this Tuesday that they actually pray for people in auditoriums all over the US. And this woman came to our team and you know what she actually said? She said, my voice doesn't physically work. My vocal cords don't work. Does that disqualify me from being able to pray for people in the movie theaters? I mean, when I looked at that email, me and, and, and Josh and the team, we literally started crying because this woman doesn't even have a voice. But she was saying, does it disqualify me from praying over people in the auditoriums because I don't have a voice? How much more, how many of you have a voice that still works? How many of you are willing to use it this week for Jesus and use it on behalf of the woman that has no voice? Use it on, the per on behalf of the person who can't talk. I mean, there's people who have died who would beg God, God, put me back in the fight. And God's like, I can't, your time was up. You already did it, but use your voice. There is a woman and you know what we told her? You just go over to somebody and lay your hands on them and you begin to pray in your spirit. And we believe God's still gonna honor it. But also we're believing that God's gonna heal you while you're praying for other people. So there's three stages of discipleship. Stage one is there's a calling and a relationship building. There's a calling and a relationship building. You have to listen, Kirk, I went after you. Like Kirk ended up doing the music for the actual movie, which was incredible. He's the man behind the music. Come on, that's your boo kitty. He's the man behind the music. But here's the thing, I went after him. I slid into his D DMs before Rebecca did. <laughs> I'm playing, I'm playing. I don't wanna start any rumors. He pursued her like a real man. He, you know, he came to Papa Sigs. Do I have your permission? I said, I don't know, I'll think about it. I, you know, I had to put him on ice. Cool him down, go take a cold shower, son. But let me just say, I went after you. Eddie Perez, I went after you. I remember my own wife saying, why are you meeting with this dude at a coffee shop? He doesn't even go to our church. I'm outing my wife. Mike, he's not gonna come. You met with him three times. He still doesn't even like our church. What are you talking? I said, no, I see something in the spirit. You guys have to go after people. You have to go after people. Come on, Alex, you remember we're standing in that movie theater and I was like, drive me to church every week. You're like, what, be your driver? And I'm like, I just was trying to make something up to spend more time with you. Make me cry, sit next to your wife all snuggled up. <laughs> you weirdos keep marrying each other, messing it up for me. <laughs> but you know, it was like we, we spent time together and I went after you. It was intentional. And it, you came to me like a bird with a broken wing. 
And I said, I'm gonna bandage that wing and when it's healed enough, you're gonna fly. And right when that season was over, you met your wife and now you drive her everywhere and I'm still kind of butthurt about it. <laughs> I was your first wife, don't ever forget that. <laughs> and he would show up at my house five in the morning. Remember that? And he would have the music going and he would tell me, and you know what Alex would tell me? He would say, Pastor Mike, one day you're gonna be huge online. One day millions of people are gonna watch your videos. You remember you saying that? And I, and I had no influence on social media. This is before the pandemic. So in the movie, I tell the story of Julie calling it out of me, but also you called it out of me. Probably before Jules, you were speaking that way. Remember that? Here's the reason why I say that. Across every single one of our campuses, the, be the best people that we're gonna have in this church, you're gonna have to go after them. And all I did was model it, you have to go next. So there's calling and relationship building. Number two, there's teaching and miracles. There's teaching and miracles. So then when I say, okay, Alex, like, you're, let's rock together. Okay, Kirk, let's rock together. I'll never forget some of the first services that Kirk went to was him seeing deliverance and all this stuff. And you would come up to me after church and be like, whoa, that was crazy. And that definitely didn't happen at my last church. <laughs> you remember that? And then he would be crying and he would be like, but maybe this is what we needed. There's teaching and miracles that happen. But let me tell you the good news. Miracles can happen through your hands. Am I right? Miracles can happen through your hands. So when you go call somebody and bring them to do these things, it's like you, they should be watching you do it. And as you're doing it, they're like, that was crazy. This is how our men's ministry is growing, by the way. Our men's ministry is strong across all of our locations. And the reason why you don't see it is because everybody's like, well, where's the men's conference? Wait, well, hold on a second. We're doing something more important than a one-time event. We're doing discipleship and we're making disciples among men and it's strengthening and they're watching each other do it. But the next and final one is commissioning and sending. Commissioning and sending. So then you say, okay, you remember when I did it, now you do it. Now you go and do it. And now, you know, Nikki G, my man over my shoulder right here, you know, and I tell this story often, but the first time you cast a demon out. And I love that story. I think about it. And then, and then I look, oh man, it makes me so emotional because I'm looking at the evidence of discipleship. I remember Chris Wrigley, when we were in Ukraine, I said, man, there is this powerful man of God. I'm telling this through the translator to these young girls. There's this powerful man of God. He speaks prophetically. He has a word just for your life. It's gonna be so accurate. It's gonna prove the existence of Jesus. And they're like, really? We wanna meet him. And I said, come here, Chris, my friend, Chris. <laughs> and, <laughs> and Chris, how, you had been sober for a couple of years at that point. One and a half years sober. By, way, by the way, he just celebrated six years sober. <laughs> <laughs> so he's like one and a half years sober. I'm like this renowned prophet. And I say, okay, here he is, Chris. And Chris was like, and, but the rule when you travel with me is you will be commissioned and I will send you. And that, that the rule is you got to do whatever I tell you to do. So all of a sudden, Chris, he comes up under the cloud because there's a cloud of God's glory that begins to form around you when you step into moments. The prophetic always activates out of necessity, not luxury. 
So it's not, I want the prophetic. It's, I need it. I need it, God. It's not, oh God, I want to hear your voice. That's luxury. But necessity is, God, I put myself on the line for someone else. If you're only seeking the voice of God for yourself, why would God sanction your selfishness? People are like, Pastor Mike, why are you so accurate? Because I'm generous. It's one of our core values. It's not money, it's everything. I'm hearing a word for you. And guess what? I get a little splash on myself. As, in other words, while, while I go to a thirsty person that's going to die of thirst, I desperately need the water of God's word. I desperately need, as I'm distributing water to them, I get a little splash on myself. That's the way the world of the generous gets larger and larger and the world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. Why would God sanction your prophetic selfishness but when you need it? So all of a sudden, now this is crazy. This is the update six years later. All of a sudden, Chris goes back to Ukraine. Now I'm not there anymore. How many of you know the true test of a leader is what happens when they're not there? So this is the end game. So now he goes to Ukraine and he goes up in front of this church and tells his whole testimony. While he's telling his testimony, all of a sudden they, they open up for a prayer and they have the people from our Ukraine team represented. And all of a sudden his line is the longest. Chris's line goes all the way out the door. And Chris is like, okay, God, here I am. And just like that first year he went with me, you got a prophetic word for every single person in the line over and over and over and over again, just ministering to them accurately, prophetically. Do you see? So I, this sermon was try, try to help you. When you look at your friend, don't look at them at the condition they're in. Look in the eyes of the spirit realm and say, I'm going to take this fish out of water. I'm going to make Chris uncomfortable. I'm going to make Nick uncomfortable. I'm going to make Kirk uncomfortable. I'm going to make Alex uncomfortable. But on the other side of it, I'm going to go away and they are going to be doing that to other people. I'm going to leave and they're still making disciples that make disciples. I'm going to step out of the way and it's better without me being there because they have full reign to do what God called them to do. I'll end on this now because this is the last and final point, it's the domino effect. It's not making disciples. Every church is like, we make disciples. It's not making disciples. It's making disciples that make disciples. That is the work. Why? Because we're trying to get as many people out of this temporary realm and into the eternal realm as we can. And that is what Jesus did. All right, let me give you this last verse. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. I'll never forget getting this call from this guy named Anthony. And he said, Anthony said, Pastor Mike, I, I, I'm doing what you tell us to do. I'm about to lead my friend Matt to Jesus. He's ready. What do I do? And I was like, uh, I, I taught you how to do that too. It's Romans chapter 10, verse nine. Have them confess their sin, ask Jesus to forgive them, confess Jesus as Lord and Savior of their life, and their spirit's gonna be regenerated. The Holy Spirit's gonna come to dwell inside of them. This is the fundamental of the faith. And he was like, okay, cool. I got them on the other line. Can I merge them in so you can do it? And I'm like, bro, I just told you what to do. And he was like, I know, but I'm still nervous. Can you, can you do it? I said, okay, I'll do it. 
All of a sudden they merged me. And so I got Matt Anthony on the phone. And this is when our church was new. And, and I said, okay, I'm gonna lead you to Christ. And he goes, well, I, you know, I'm a Catholic. I don't really know what should I be doing right now. And he goes, should I sit? He goes, I'm laying in my bed right now. Should I sit up or can I stay laying down? And then that confused me. Because my, all my brain is going through all the Bible. And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> I said, I think God can save you while you're laying down, but just sit up just because it's weird. <laughs> I said, just sit up because it's weird because you're laying down. I don't know. Just as weird. So all of a sudden I said, just repeat this after me. We're going to pray this together. And I begin to pray that prayer with them. Then when it was over, there was a pause. And then I heard. And I said, hey, Matt, are you okay? What's going on? He goes, you didn't tell me I was going to feel this good. I feel so clean. I, I feel so happy, like, what is this? And I told him, I said, well, Matt, that's the Holy Spirit, the comforter. He now lives inside of you. You are the body of Christ. And I'm telling him the fundamentals. And, and then Anthony's crying and we're crying together. So then I begin to make a disciple out of Matt. And then I, back in the day, this is when we had that little apartment. Uh, we used to have prayer meetings and I would invite the whole church and we all fit in my apartment. And my apartment was the size of the stage. And all of a sudden, Matt is sitting there and he's, uh, we're praying together. By the way, now that I think about it, he was sitting next to his future wife, but um, you know, they were sitting next to each other without room for a King James Bible, you know what I'm saying? So I just realized Matt was scamming me coming to this prayer meeting, but that's okay. So I look over at Matt and this is what Matt's doing while we're praying. He's got one hand down and one hand up like this. And I'm thinking this is some orthodox weird thing. And I got, I'm, and so after it's over, I'm like, Matt, when we were praying, what was this position where you're doing? It's kind of weird. He's like, well, half the people in the room had both their hands up and the other half had their hands down. So I just did both. <laughs> and he was like, how could I be wrong? <laughs> and so here's the thing. If our church across every campus doesn't have stories like I just told you, we're not doing this thing right. If, if we're not telling stories like that, if everybody, and let me just tell you, if you're following after these teachers that are blowing your mind and everybody is holier than thou and everybody's esoteric and everybody knows Greek, Hebrew, Aramaic, and everybody's got this deep, profound, prophetic word that's blowing your mind, but you're not telling stories like the stories I told you are not making disciples and you're gonna get to heaven and you are gonna receive judgment for the way you misappropriated the gift of God because the spiritual gifts of God are not just to edify the body. It's also to build the body by plundering hell to populate heaven. And, and the highest mark of the kingdom is evangelism. I mean, the, the greatest endeavor of your life is leading people to Jesus. And if you are not doing it, you're doing it wrong. And so, yeah, we love seminaries. Yes, we love training and teaching. But what I love more than that is the engine of the kingdom kingdom is evangelism. The engine of the kingdom is telling lost people about Jesus. And that is the sexiest sermon you could ever preach. That is the apex of all Christianity. In Acts chapter two, the Holy Spirit came and they declared the gospel through the speaking of tongues. The gifts of the spirit primarily came, not just so that we can sit together in a holy huddle, but the gifts of the spirit came so that we could grow the huddle 
with unbelievers. Tongues were assigned to unbelievers. Prophecy was assigned words of knowledge to unbelievers. We must grow the kingdom. And if you're mad about the church growing, it's because you're protecting your preferences, not God's purposes. And feel free to build behind me at any point during this uh, scream preaching service. Would you guys stand to your feet? Let me say it like this, one last way. Because why am I trying to get this into you? The reason why I'm getting this into you is because I cannot disciple the number of people that are coming by way of this movie because no pastor is capable of doing that. But I wanted to spark something in your heart that says as people come, how many of you have been saved for more than one day? <laughs> You're all qualified. You must make disciples that make disciples. How do I do it, Pastor Mike? You actually get into a connect group. You lead a connect group. You actually grab somebody, invite them, bring them to church. You actually lead them to Jesus in a conversation. And as you are doing that, not even the gates of hell will prevail against you. They're coming to us ignorant. They're coming to us wounded. They're coming to us blind. They're coming to us with bad theology. And we're taking these fish out of the water and bringing them to the eternal realm. As something I was thinking about, I wanna end on this with our church. The internet, and I'm speaking as your pastor. The internet loves to use the word heretic. They don't even know what it means. So when you see heretic, 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 that's a trendy word. Here's another trendy word, wolf. He's a wolf, 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 wolf. Let me just tell you, and I want us to hear this across every campus. They don't understand the biblical context for the word wolf or heretic. Now, the theology of this house is vetted within orthodoxy by people who are 75 years old with fruit that remains and churches that have stood the test of time and marriages that have stood the test of time. And you know what people in the comment sections mean when they say the word heretic? They mean, I don't agree with you or I don't like you. When they call you a wolf, it doesn't mean you're actually a wolf. It just means they don't like you or they don't agree with you. And so when you go to a church like V1 Church and you have a movie like we have a movie, there is going to be a lot of chatter. But let me just tell you this, you credit yourself a fool if you listen to fools. And the fastest way to become a fool is to become a companion of a fool. And I just wanna help you understand, follow the fruit. Right now on this stage is the fruit of my ministry. It's men who have been free from addictions for years, not days. It's men's that marriages have been restored and are leading their house righteously for years, not days. And the reason why a movie came out this year and not the first year is because I've already established fruit that remains. So I've got to say this because don't give ear to chatter. These are the same people that don't read the Bible. When I talked about Catholicism and that video got a million views, of course the Catholics don't believe me or agree with me. If they did, they would be, they would be Protestants. Of course they have a refutation of what I'm saying. It doesn't make their refutation right. Do you get what I'm trying to say? Don't die in the comments section. Don't kill your destiny in the comment section. Don't kill your purpose in the comment section. And this is the word I'm gonna leave as we are a disciple-making movement. We have disciples. You are our youth leader. 
and you're leading the youth. You're leading in V1 worship and in the missions department. The fruit is fruit that remains. It's not disciples making disciples. It's leaders making leaders making leaders that are disciples. It's a whole nother level. And so the word that I want to leave on the domino effect is as the dominoes keep dropping, they pick up momentum. Everybody say momentum. And a moving train does not stop for barking dogs. And so I would have to slow down to go to the comment section for barking dogs. When you get on a train and that train starts moving, that train doesn't slow down because as it moves past barking dogs, it gives ear to what they're saying. The comment sections of our church is not going to slow down for moving dogs. This disciple making movement is not going to slow down for barking dogs. Y'all hear what I'm saying? I am not going to give ear to it because, oh, somebody, Jesus passed this to Peter. Peter passed this to the first century, and if they couldn't cancel Jesus, and they couldn't cancel Peter, they're not going to cancel you. If the Roman persecutions of 64 through 313 AD couldn't stop the church, it's not going to stop us now. Come on, somebody. If the 17th and 12th century Byzantine Empire couldn't stop the church from going, it's not going to stop us. If the Soviet Union and communist China couldn't stop the church, we're not stopping either. And if in the 21st century, digital assassination and suppression through algorithms we will not stop persecution has come in many forms but so has the power of Jesus Christ and so has been the persistence of the gospel